Very glad to be with you today as we continue our sermon series on spirit, soul, body. How do we experience more of God's joy and peace and power in our inner part, in moving to our outer extremities? Uh, today's message is based out of 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. This is our scripture. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Today we'll be talking about our souls, what they are, and why the breaking of our souls is necessary to experience more of God's spirit. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for this moment and time to open your scriptures, and we pray now, God, that you would make these scriptures real to us, that we would be formed, that we would be forged, that we would be changed, that we would be inspired, that we would be moved in order that we would experience more of your glory. God, it's your glory we're hungry for, and so wake us up and encounter us and speak to us anew. We thank you for our visitors and guests and those that aren't quite sure where they stand with you this morning. Remind them they're welcome here. You have a word for them. And God, we're also so glad for those that come week in and week out. Uh, May their obedience be rewarded by more intimacy. Lord Jesus, we love you. And all God's people said, amen. Spirit, soul, body, week three, breaking is necessary. Breaking is necessary. I drove around this week. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Well, two weeks ago, I was here. We, we streamed Pastor Richards. Great. He kicked us off on our spirit, soul, body, uh, theology. Last week, I was in Las Vegas, and uh, this brokenness or breaking is necessary. We see it uh, first person in Las Vegas. I was down there with my son's soccer tournament. And just driving around this week, it was a heavy week. Lots going on. Lots of uh, just, you know, kind of responsibility issues and, and uh places and situations I was ministering to, and then I, I realized, man, January's almost over. And I did the math for you in case you had any, uh, any confusion. The year is 7% over. Done. You're, you're 7% done with 2020. And I don't know about you. I find that depressing, right? Because like 2020, man, it just, it just started. And not only new year, new decade. Like I want impact. I want legacy. I want joy. I want fruitfulness. I want more of God's spirit. God, can I just experience it all? And uh, the challenge, of course, is that what we hunger for in our spirit has to move through this thing called my mind my will, my emotions. This is our soul. And our soul, as we're going to talk about today, is kind of this middle place between our body and our spirits. 
And so we can get into seasons and situations where we're struggling to experience the joy of our salvation, the renewing of our minds in Christ, the things that our spirit is meant to encounter because our body is, we're kind of stuck in situations that are breaking in our soul. And we've been talking about body, soul, spirit from this foundation of 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, but wait, what, what is it? Like, we talk about identity and culture. Is this like my personhood? Like, who am I really? Well, Let's look at this. We've been using this imagery on spirit, soul, body, that the spirit is the inner part of our lives, that the spirit of God, when we come to faith, when we get saved by by Jesus, that he comes and lives inside of us. Our spirit is renewed. Our body, it's pretty easy. That's where we encounter the world in our outer senses. But the middle place where our spirit and our body are joined together is our soul. Now, I want to give you a different imagery because for some, this is confusing. I don't know where my soul and my spirit are interconnected. Look here at the foundation. In the natural physical world, our body is taking in information from the senses constantly. At the top, our spirit, where where our spirit is full, if we're in faith with the Holy Spirit and where the word of God and direct revelation is pouring itself through us, but there is often a disconnect. And the middle place is our soul, where we choose what to think. It's our mind, our will, our emotions, often what we call our identity. Paul would talk about it being our flesh, the stuff that we feel, the stuff that we desire, who we are really, and and our identity. And this is where it's kind of a complicated nuance because all of this makes up who you are. Who am I really? Well, we're, you know, partly, you know, what our body is and partly what our spirit is full of. And partly, how our soul encounters the world. Why does this matter? Because we want fruitfulness. We want legacy. We hunger for joy and peace and provision. And it's good. But for many of us, how we experience more of what the Spirit wants to pour out into our body is a breaking of our soul. You want influence? Me too. Regretfully, the challenge from the scriptures is that breaking is necessary. And this is where the message will live today as we kind of look at this first week of the soul and next week we'll look again at the soul as a case study that our transformation of our soul will change us as we're formed to more and more and more of God's image. And that happens often when we're broken, when we're broken. As one theologian says, the light that shines farthest shines the brightest at home. We're meant to be shining for Jesus. And that happens as we lay our mind and our will and emotions before God. We don't run from it. We don't hide away in places of shame or self-condemnation, but we're hungry to be formed to be more like Christ. And so our big idea today is simply this, as we we wrestle with our brokenness and we submit our soul to the Lord, that's when we're filled more and more and more with the Spirit. Someone asked after the first service, well, aren't we, when we come to faith, aren't we filled with the Spirit? We are. 
And yet we're constantly called to be releasing more and more of the Spirit's joy and peace and and all the fruits of the Spirit. Where does it get stuck sometimes? We have all the gifts. Where do I feel like I get stuck sometimes? It's this breaking of the soul that's necessary. So we're going to keep it pretty simple today. We're going to just look at two things. We're going to look at what is the soul and why is breaking necessary. Let's begin. What is the soul? Very simply, the soul is the mind, will, and emotions. It is your free will. We were given a soul when God created the world in Genesis 2, differentiated from the animal kingdom. Then the Lord God, Gen 2, 7, the Lord God formed humans of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into the man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Different than the animal kingdom, Animals have definitely a spirit, they definitely have a body, they didn't, you know, spirit of God, that's kind of a question mark, but humans are the ones that are given a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions, and of course, we don't get too far in the story before we have a breaking in our soul, a breaking from relying in Genesis 3 on God himself, and then in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, Brother turns against brother. Where is violence born from? It's born from a distorted soul. In Hebrew, this word soul is nefesh, nefesh. It's used over 700 times in the Old Testament. The challenge in the scriptures when we look at soul is the Old Testament was given in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. In the Old Testament, nefesh actually means your throat, Because the ancient Hebrews understood that your throat was the source of all life, of oxygen, of food. And so ancient Hebrews, you don't have nefesh, you just are nefesh. You are a living soul. And so that's why in the Shema, hear, O Israel, you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your heart. This is what the Hebrews understood. This is what made them human. In Psalm 119, let me live, nefesh, that my soul may praise you. So ancient Hebrews, this idea of soul is identity. And they were you know, kind of knowing that, that the soul and the spirit were kind of one and the same. But in the New Testament, after Jesus comes on the scene and, and the, the Jesus' new reign, his spirit is given to any that want to follow Christ. And, and the, the gospel, the kingdom of God starts to spread out from you know, Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth as, as the disciples are going out and spreading. We're called to be spreading this good news is that the Spirit of God wants to live in us because of who Jesus is. But in Greek, uh, the word uh, soul gets translated suiki, where we get the word psyche, our, 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 our behaviors. And, and Greek thought was so uh, influenced by Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, they believed that the body and the soul were two different things, and the soul was kind of trapped inside the body until it can be released to the spirit realm. Well, what does it mean for us? It means that our mind and our will and emotions are meant to be wrestled with. 
That as we come to be knowing who we are in Christ, in our identity, that we know we can't gratify our soul alone. We must be willing to let the Spirit out. Galatians 5, Paul says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh, of the soul. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Paul says there's something in us, I do not know what it is, but it is this soul, my, my flesh, my mind, my will and emotions, though I long to do what I know God calls me to, there's something in me wired for free will where I can often distort God's spirit in me. And so our soul can sometimes desire what's contrary to the spirit because of our sin nature. Because we are made in the image of God, but born with a soul that likes to gratify ourselves. We don't have to look too far. Oh, you mean like around the world where we see people struggling with sinfulness? I mean in your own heart. We can see examples of our own brokenness. And typically in in Christian tradition, at times we try to get towards God's heart by holiness and obedience, but when we struggle, we don't know what to do with this dissonance. But if we're going to be people experiencing all that God's spirit wants to do in and through our bodies, we need to break our souls. We need to lay our souls as an offering to God. We would say, God, take my mind, take my will, take my emotions, It's not just about trying harder. No, there is grace. But because of the grace of Christ, we're meant to be taken on this transformation journey. A case study. Think of Peter. Peter, Matthew 26. Man, I'm the rock. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, you, Jesus, I'll never disown you. I will work hard at this faith. I will never, never abandon you. And for many of us in modern Christianity, we want to try harder. Man, you tell me the year is 7% over, I'm going to kick its butt the other 93% of the year. Like, I just, ah, I'll just work my way to the Lord. But it's not working for us. Our identity in Christ, when we fail, we can't be like Peter, who we're going to learn, going to get trapped in shame. We need to be laying our identity on the altar to be formed more and more and more like Christ. Breaking is necessary because Peter himself, Luke 22, man, he says, I will try harder. I'll never abandon you. What happens? Jesus arrested. When they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat down among them in Jerusalem. And then the servant girl, seeing Peter as he sat in the light, looking closely at him around the fire. This man, Peter, he was with Jesus, but Peter denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little while later, someone saw him and said, you're one of them. Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another said, certainly this man, Peter, was with him, Jesus, because he too is Galilean. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And this verse, this section... This Lord turning and looking and Peter leaving and weeping bitterly. This is our story. This is why brokenness is necessary. Because the Lord is looking. And I really, 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 really want you to look at that there. He's not looking at us waiting for us to fail. He's looking at us saying, I see you as you already are. I see you. 
And I'm hurt when, you're, when your soul is making decisions outside and contrary to my spirit, but I am for you and I will not abandon you. But Peter can't experience that. He goes into shame mode and he disappears. This is why this is so, so important. We have to be willing to discover ourselves in God's story. Thomas Merton says this, there's only one problem on which all my existence and my peace and my happiness depend, to discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him. Because much as a child coming of age in a family of origin, we are knitted together. And the Christian notion that my story doesn't matter and it's all just about religion and about God's story is not how God formed us. He gave his breath to us and created us with a living soul that we would have a mind, will, and emotions in order to worship him, in order to be filled with him, in order that our story would matter to him. He's our heavenly Father, he knows who we are. Our identity is deeply important to him. But we have to lay our soul before him because we can often use our mind, will, and emotions to gratify ourself. So a prayer might look like for you in the week ahead, God, help me come to the end of myself so I can be filled with more of your spirit. If you look through the scriptures, man, over and over and over again, the great examples of our faith, they experience brokenness after their calling, not despite a calling, after. You name it, Elijah, greatest spiritual achievement, knocks all the idols, bam, hiding in a cave, fearful. Paul, shipwreck, Sarah's infertility, Jonah called spirals into denial, Ruth's a widow. You get it. God's people are not spared brokenness, but they are called to be filled with more of the spirit in places where they fail. Every one of us in the room, we desire to be fruitful. We desire those fruits of the spirit. We, we, we want it all. But the scriptures say, if you want a fruitful life, Then place your mind, will, and emotions. Place your soul before the Lord. Break the parts of yourself that just want to to be gratified in your flesh and be filled more and more and more with the Spirit. Because fruit that's not connected to God is not real fruit. Uh, We we have this peach tree outside our, our, our front yard. And it's got yard all around it, so it kind of makes it tricky to mow. But it, truth be told, I think it was a Mother's Day gift a couple years ago. My wife loves peaches. And, you know, we were kind of shocked. Year one, not much happened. Year two, little peaches started to grow on the tree. It was incredible. Like, hey, here they come. 10, 20, 30, 40, small, flavorful peaches. Seattle, who would have thought, right? One day I'm out there, and, and, and the only thing about this peach tree, very, very sensitive the fruit like, would fall a branch if you bumped it at all. I kind of knew that, but I was in a hurry. And sometimes when we're hurrying, we, our mind, will, and emotions, man, our sin nature just kind of comes out a little bit more, right? Some of you driving around Seattle, you experience more and more of your sin nature, right? God's grace on you. So I'm mowing, it, you know, and I'm flying around the yard, and here's this little peach tree with all this healthy fruit, and I'm flying around, and then boom, I back into the thing. Oh, about 25% of the peaches die. They just hit the ground, gone. Um, And I'm looking at them. I'm like, I have a problem here. 
wife's peach tree, fruit on the ground. Two options exist. Option one, face my brokenness. Honey, I was hurrying. I know all those peaches you were really excited about. They're dead. Toast. Let's just deal with it. I was a sinner, saved by grace. Can you? Yeah, and we could have got on with it. Or option two, take said fruit, put it back onto the branches, trying to stick it in places where it looks like it might still grow, and then play dumb. Which option did Pastor Scott choose? Scott is a sinner. Oh, my gosh. I, pl- I was in a hurry. I placed the fruit up a couple days later. Anybody know what happened to the peach tree? Ha, huh, yeah, no, I, d- I don't know, right? Man, that, that's such an easy example about places of brokenness that don't want to be submitted to the Lord. It's not even funny. Because the truth is, this is all of our journeys. The places in our soul The cling to brokenness or our mind or our will or our emotions or our path we have for ourselves or our way we want to handle conflict or our desires of the flesh. There's a piece of us that doesn't necessarily want to deal with a fruit that's not connected, but fruit not connected to a source will die. So our soul is a gift from God, our mind, will, and emotions, but it's meant to be submitted to God. How does that happen? It happens in the breaking. It happens as we kind of lay ourselves before God and say, I want more of your spirit coming out through my body. This is how the spirit is released. This is the the breakthrough that many of us would use language like that. I want a breakthrough. But how the breakthrough happens is when our soul is broken and contrite before the Lord. This is what Jesus modeled in Philippians 2. Jesus having the same mindset, we're called to have the same mindset of Jesus, who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself, he allowed his body to be broken, and God used that sacrifice to establish him as king of the heavens. John 12, Jesus taught this. He says, truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It is important to lay ourselves to be broken. The breaking is necessary. There's a phenomenal Chinese theologian, long since passed, Watchman Nee. He he talks about this breaking as necessary with this kind of basic theology of brokenness. He says, the basic difficulty of a servant of God lies in his failure of the inward man to break through his outward man, for the spirit to break through the body. Therefore, we must recognize before God that the first difficulty to our work is not in others, but in ourselves. Our spirit seems to be wrapped in a covering which cannot easily break forth. If we've never learned how to release our inward man by breaking through the outward man, we are not able to serve. Nothing can so hinder us as this outward man. Whether our works are fruitful or not depends on whether our outward man has been broken by the Lord so that the inward man can pass through the soul, pass through the brokenness and come out. This in a statement specifies the basic problem. The Lord wants to break our outward man in order for the inward man to have a way out. And when the inward man is released, both unbelievers and other Christians will be blessed. A basic theology here is that God, if we're in faith, God is in us. The spirit is in us. The fruit of the spirit is in us. And we need to learn how to let it out. How? Brokenness. It's being broken. 
New wine, new wineskins. Stop clinging to your old story. Stop believing that if you could just try harder, that somehow this will be the year that God will establish you. This will be the time your marriage gets fixed. This will be the time your kids actually obey you. This will be the time your bank account flourishes. We, we put these markers about if I'm obedient enough, God, then somehow you might bless me. No. No, breaking is necessary, and God establishes fruitfulness from those willing to lay their souls on the altar of faith. We want more of God's spirit working its way through our body. We've got to submit our souls. Uh, Pastor Richard created this really helpful uh, leadership paradigm and took the men at Men's Malibu a couple summers to this. It's very helpful. This is called the subterranean leadership. The real leadership happens below ground in the, in the brokenness work. Look at the top. Influence. Tactics, strategy, vision. This is what we read books about. This is what we listen to TED Talks for. This is what we're podcasting for. I want more influence. I, I, got, I need different tactics. Give me a helpful strategy and born of a really good vision. And we just convince ourselves if this above ground work takes place, then, then it's all fruitfulness. But not in the kingdom of God. No, in the kingdom of God, we need a revelation of the spirit of God who wants to live in us. That comes from intimacy with the Father, through the Son, in the spirit. That comes from one place, humility. Well, how do you learn humility? Brokenness. How do you learn how to serve? Brokenness. How do you learn how to worship the God that's holier than you? Brokenness. And when we come face to face with our brokenness and we start to move into places of humility and intimacy and revelation, God says, now, now we're talking. Now I can establish you. No, I don't want you to just be like broken like Peter and kind of run out of the room crying in places of shame. I want to establish you. But that comes from a place and posture of humility through brokenness. The best life is when we're broken and allowing Christ to live through us. This was Mary's story. In all four gospels, this beautiful story of worshiping Christ, not in this puffing up of a posture of tactics and strategy, but on her face in a posture of worship. Look at Mark 14. While Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some, some of the texts say his feet. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, says Jesus. Why are you bothering her, says Jesus. She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have. And you can help them anytime you want, but you not always have me. You did, or she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached to the world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Amazing to me that Mary's brokenness and Judas's betrayal are, are the same pericope, the same story in the scriptures. Why is that? Why is that? Because in order to be broken, we're going to abandon our tactics. In order to be broken, we're going to release our plans to God. 
And it's true that there's a little bit of Peter in us, and it's true that there's a little bit of Mary in us, but it's also true that there's a little bit of Judas in us. And when Jesus starts to take paths that we don't like the way he's going, that look more like brokenness and and more like laying our lives aside and taking his timeline and taking his posture of service and, and, and taking other opinions above ourselves and this dying to myself, this brokenness necessary, man, there's a piece of me like Judas that I just wanna, I just wanna run and hide and make my own plan, my own power, my own establishment. It ended up costing Judas's life. Man, listen to me really carefully. Belief isn't just core theology that lives somewhere in our head. Belief in Jesus is the soul under the inspiration of the spirit showing control over the body to bring glory to the world for Christ's honor. This is what discipleship looks like. That over the long course of our faith life, that we would be broken of ourselves, that Christ's spirit would flow into us. And think of the people that have really made an impact on your life. My hunch is that they lived this story, that they knew brokenness was necessary. They had a posture of humility. They experienced the fruit of the Spirit, not by a puffed-up ego, but by obedience to God. May we be a church like that. How, how do we do that? How do we, okay, break, breaking is necessary. Sounds interesting. How do I do that? Two places, worship and prayer. Because worship, this is what God's been just playing on my heart all month long. Worship is the gateway. When we worship God, we're allowing our souls to be formed by his spirit. We're giving him our time, our energy. We're saying, God, just take my life. I want to worship you. And when we pray, we're saying the words, Jesus, allow my soul to be broken for your glory. Take my anger right now, Jesus. Take my heartache Take my shame, take my bitterness, take anything in my soul that's clinging to my old story and fill it with your spirit. And so when you practice worship and you practice prayer, that's, what, that's when you can live into this breaking. Or as 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, the salvation of your souls. Salvation of your souls. This is how our souls experience salvation when we just lay our lives before him in worship and prayer. And what's absolutely critical about Peter, because First Peter was written by Peter, the same one who had his identity in Christ and yet denied him, what's absolutely critical to know is that as Peter was reestablished. He was broken and he was in shame, but at the end of John 21, that Jesus reestablished him that, that Peter, once the resurrection happened, he didn't know how to make sense with it. He's still stuck in this old story. His, his soul is not given fully over to Jesus. His mind, will, and emotion stuck in his own story. So what does he say in John 21? I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. We'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus went to them. Jesus left Jerusalem to say, How's it working out for you? Peter, you're doing your old thing. You're out here trying to fish on your own. How's it going? I love Jesus in the story because he gets it. He just, it's not going to work, Pete. You can run. You can stuck in shame. Or you can be filled with my spirit. Try the other side. And 153 fish later, 
They were like, oh, wow. Yeah, the power of the Spirit is our souls given over. It's the Lord. Peter puts his outer robe on because apparently he's fishing in his inner clothes and he's always about covering himself up. He's really concerned with what other people think about him. And he swims to shore. And at that fateful breakfast, Jesus reestablishes him. Peter, do you love me? I, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Or do you know I love you? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you know you know that I love you? God, yes, why are you asking? Because Jesus is saying, I need to reestablish you because you're stuck in a broken story. I want to bring my spirit to you. How do we do it? We lay our soul, our mind, will, and emotions before God that we'd be more and more and more aware of his power in our bodies and that we would know that we belong to a God who's for us, who formed us, and who has forged us to be filled with his spirit. See, he knew Peter was going to fail him even before he established Peter as the foundation of the church. Our church, Protestant and Catholic, is formed by a denier. So may that encourage you in places of your spirit that feel stuck in your soul in an old story. Jesus sees you as you are, and he loves you, and he longs to set you free in his story. My kids play piano, and my seven and 10-year-old had a piano recital a couple weeks ago. And if you don't know what brokenness and a piano recital have to do with each other, you haven't been to a piano recital recently. It's pretty painful, but delightful. My kids are new, so the skills aren't that adept, but they were eager that day. And, you know, there's people who've been playing for years, really gifted pianists, and they're doing this magic, and my kids are like, do, 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 you know, and they were like some of the first to go, and I've got my, my, my phone up, and I'm capturing it all because I'm so proud of them. And I, I'm like filming first, you know, the seven-year-old goes, and then the 10-year-old, and it, it, it's beautiful in its own way. I turn to one kid who's like, this little six-year-old, he's having, I'm like, that's my kid. And he's like, I don't care, you know, and... I got it all. I was, I was totally pleased. Spirit at rest. Effort good enough. Wonderful. We walk out of the piano recital, and the 10-year-old says, that was horrible. I'm like, why do you say that? Well, I, I hit some wrong notes. Didn't you hear the wrong notes? I'm like, honey, I heard it all, and it was good. It was good. And we wonder if God is up there in heaven counting our bad notes, wondering about our soul that hasn't been given fully over, we're missing the mark somehow. He's saying this morning, I love you. I've established you. I've forgiven you. Give your soul, your mind, will, emotions over to me so that more of my spirit can flow through your body and you'll experience the fullness of everything I want to give you. Let's pray towards that end right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gifts that you've given, for the way that you delight in us, the way that you call us to follow you, the way that you're calling us to lay our will before you. You made us, you love us, and so in places where we struggle, God, you have already seen that story played out. 
Lord God, we confess places of shame and isolation where we've run from you instead of hoping to be restored by you. For many of us in the room, this idea of fishing by our own power through the night with no catch rings true. Would you take our lives as an offering for you, God? Would you take our souls as we worship you? Would you form us to be more and more and more in your spirit? God, we want bodies that are living for you. And in order to do that, we need to submit our souls. God, we see it now. The breaking is necessary. Take these songs now and and take them as worship. We love you. We love you. It's all for you, God. To the discouraged this morning, God, bring your peace. To the shameful ones, restore them. To the hopeless, bring hope. For the tired, bring rest. Move us to be more like you. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close the song that our spirits would worship God through our bodies as we submit our souls to him.